Welcome to the Geek to Geek podcast, where we might all be secret gamers. Uh, I'm Void, and I'm here with my co-host Beige. I'm not a secret at the. I don't. I don't have a secret. That's where I messed it up. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Today we're talking about gaming for non-gamers. So we got a question from a listener, and it was kind of about like how to get their spouse to play games with them. So it got us thinking about the subject, and we realized that there's kind of this whole world of people out there who don't really consider themselves gamers. But they play games anyway. And I thought it would be kind of interesting to talk about this as a subject and just dive in a little bit. But you know, like, I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I see a lot of people do this. I have a lot of them are the college students that I work with that they they don't think they're sci-fi fans or they don't think they're gamers, that there are these labels. But then I see them sitting on their phones playing Clash of Clans or whatever the new hotness is. And I'm just like, you're not a gamer, are you? You make fun of me for playing World of Warcraft, but here you are, you know, fighting your armies. I just, yeah, I don't understand. And I think, like, you have the right idea. It's it's that rise of, like, smartphones um, mm-hmm. that has really changed things around because it used to be if you were a gamer you had to own a powerful pc to play something or you had to own a console or you know whether it's like a handheld console that you only played on the go like a game boy or 2ds 3ds whatever or if you had to own like a playstation or you know ps4 if you're up to date with it and now it's like almost everybody has a smartphone and people download apps all the time and most people that you talk to they have games on their phone that they play a lot. And it might just be one or two, but it's like everybody is playing games, but almost none of them would consider themselves a gamer if you asked. And I think that's kind of fascinating. And even then, just think about the old computers that we had when we were growing up that people were playing Solitaire and Minesweeper and what was it? Ski Free, I think, and Snake and things like that. Pipe Dream, I remember people playing a lot. And no one consider that everybody played these games. People play board games, and and even to go out of video games, every family plays Scrabble and Monopoly and Life and Sorry, and at least they do around here. And nobody considers those gaming games. I mean, that's not like when you're gaming, you're Dungeons and Dragons or it's Mario Brothers or something like that. It's not these traditional family games that there's there's a subset of games for people to consider themselves gamers that I find odd. Yeah, and it's it's like I wonder how much of it is deciding to put that label on yourself. It's like mm. I would consider myself a runner, you know? Yeah. But I guess there's different connotations that come with different labels and gamer might just be too negative in culture still. I wonder if it's going to shift over time as games become more and more mainstream because they are. I mean, it's obvious that they have been ever since they were created and gone, you know, big in the 70s and 80s. They've become more and more mainstream over over time to the point now where like everybody has them on their phone and you know i was thinking about this and my mom is kind of a perfect example you know if i asked my mom are you a gamer she would say no without without even thinking about it and then if i absolutely mom do you play games she would say oh yeah every single day like on her phone absolutely every day so she has uh, i actually asked her because i knew we were going to do this topic this week she plays seven words and monkey wrench mm. every single day so they're okay. two word games um seven words i looked into both of them seven words is kind of like a crossword without the crossword so you get like hints but you know it doesn't have to fit into a greater puzzle and you're trying to figure out what the words are sometimes they're really yeah. tricky sometimes they're easy and then monkey wrench is another word game but like i know she plays a bunch of other games too i know she plays a bunch of the spry fox games on her phone that's All right. a developer that does a lot of mobile games and like puzzly type games. Yeah. Um, okay. I know when when Peggle was big, she played that yeah. you know, from PopCap Games and yep. things like Quiz Up and the sims like all of these she's playing on her phone and then there are other games too that kind of bridge the gap like we used to play rock band as a family like before yeah before i moved out so you know probably like after college before we were kind of in our own place but when everybody was around and we were all old enough we were all playing rock band together and 
yeah. you know, my mom and my dad played too. That's that's kind of the way that my mom is too. My parents both were like this, that, that my mom today has games on her iPhone and on her Kindle Fire that when she came to help us with the most recent yard sale that we had, she would take basic, she would basically take breaks to be able to go make sure that she used all of her credits and coins to do something, or she makes sure she has the tablet with her to continuously tap on the their quarter games. They're kind of like casino type games or yeah. carnival games, and she just loves them, but she would never consider herself a gamer. And the same thing happened when I was a kid. I might have mentioned this in a previous episode. I can't remember, but I know that when we first got our NES when I was two years old, I remember growing up and my parents staying up late at night playing Duck Hunt and having competitions with one another after I went to bed to see who could get the highest score on both Duck Hunt and the skeet shooting uh, game that was in there as well. And I would wake up in the morning and I could see the scores on that they had posted on the refrigerator. Like, you know, most people have report cards on the refrigerator. My parents had Duck Hunt scores where they were trying to beat each other. And they would never consider themselves gamers, though. We played, you know, Killer Instinct. My mom would play Killer Instinct and beat me with, I think his name was Saberwolf was the character's name. And my dad would play uh, Wave Race and things like this with me all the time. But neither of them would consider themselves gamers. And the reason I have a Super Nintendo is because my dad wanted Star Fox so badly he had to buy a Super Nintendo. But they're not gamers. That would be ridiculous. But that's yeah. what they do. It's fascinating. I mean, and I, I like seeing more people playing games. Like, I have no problem with people playing oh, games without calling themselves a gamer. It's just, it's an interesting distinction. Because, like, if you, I'm going to go back to the running example. If you run right. regularly for exercise, you are a runner. Like, people would look at you and go, that's a runner. Whereas you can be playing smartphone games all the time. People aren't looking at you going, that's a gamer. And it's yeah. kind of, it's just a weird spot where we are as a culture right now. And I think it'll change over time. But yeah, it's fun to see like um, my mom or my wife, people who, you know, don't consider themselves gamers and see what they're playing. Like your wife, she plays some games too, but I know like just from talking to you, she wouldn't consider herself a gamer, right? No, no, she does not consider herself a gamer, but the 2DS that we have is hers. I got that for her for her birthday, for her 30th birthday, and it was so that she could play, I think Scribblenauts Unmasked is which one I bought for her with that one. It was one of the Scribblenauts games, I believe, or a Lego, I don't remember what game it was. But she wanted that specifically to play games that she couldn't play anywhere else. And the very first video game that I ever got her to play, amazingly, was Castlevania Order of Ecclesia on the DS. And she loved this. And she was just great at it. And it's one of those Metroidvania games where the entire, it's a 2d side scroller where it's a labyrinth and you have to go through different skills and learn different abilities and just, you know, traverse this entire thing. Never having played games before. Like I occasionally had to beat a boss for her because she didn't have the reflexes to do it. Not all the time, not most of the time. And then because she didn't have any game systems growing up, she just didn't have a basis for it. She played, things we started playing mario kart double dash new super mario brothers like i said the scribble knot series she loves indie games is something that she just absolutely fell in love with low-key exploratory almost artsy indie games she adores like journey and the unpainted swan oh yeah Have you ever played good. either of those yeah I oh, played both of them. i don't like playing them I hate playing them, but I think they're magnificent games because I can watch her play them and have such a good time watching it that their journey is the most relaxing thing that I may have ever watched. It, it's it's absurdly beautiful and well put together. And if she's not playing a game like that, it'll be, as, as she puts it, and I quote, the smashy smashy it's uh, she'll play the the toy box on disney infinity or the incredibles or lego games just to smash things and fight 
it's like there's a final fight style level in the new Disney Infinity in 3.0 and that's Incredibles themed and she just plays it over and over and over and over again because it's just fun to fight things. It's either low-key or beating up, but she would still not consider herself a gamer even though one of our primary consoles is hers. Well, and it's it's interesting you mentioned that. I hadn't really thought about it before just now, but beat-em-ups are actually not a bad way to get people into gaming i mean if you think about what we played as kids like did you ever yeah. play like any of the ninja turtles beat-em-ups or oh all of them yeah i, I even played them in the arcade ninja turtles 2 the arcade game there was yeah. one at walmart in my hometown i sunk a lot of money into well, like turtles in time i played a ton of that and then the other one i was thinking yeah. of was um there, there was an x-men arcade cabinet that had like eight players instead of four and that one was oh crazy. yeah do you remember the Nightcrawler special attack where he zipped all over the screen and you jerk <laughs> the joystick around? Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. That was awesome. But it's like the games, I mean, they have a goal. You're making progress together as a team, right. but they're not hard to control. And I think that's one of the things in thinking about this that I came up with yeah. is that a controller is often really intimidating. Like for yes, you and is. I, we grew up with simpler controllers, you know, like there was a D pad, there was an A button and B button. And then there was yep. maybe a start select, but you didn't really use them ever. And Mm-mm. now if you look at a modern controller with dual analogs, you have multiple yeah. triggers, you have like a bunch of face buttons, like four at least usually plus start select, like, and you're using everything on the controller for most yes. games. And that's just intimidating for people. You know, they don't want to pick up a controller. I I don't blame them. Like, I've been trained to use one over the course of my entire life. And that controller can be just this huge hurdle for people to get over. And so that's one of the things that, like, just keep in mind when you're trying to get a non-gamer kind of, like, talking about games or into the hobby or trying to connect with them is that things you take for granted might be a huge hurdle for them like a controller which is why smartphone games can be so great for them because like everybody knows how to swipe and tap by now Uh you know everyone uses it every day whether they're texting or on facebook or any social media like everybody who owns a smartphone is constantly using it and they're used to the gestures so they've been trained on that just like you've been trained on a controller even though they might never have touched what we would consider a standard controller now. And one thing that I've taken for granted regarding the controllers is which buttons are which. When you can, I can know immediately and intuitively that when I see a triangle on the screen to press the top button, I just know that. I've known it since like 1996. And for the last 20 years, when I see a triangle, I'm going to, I know exactly which button to hit. My thumb hit it when I said that. And my wife doesn't. Whenever something flashes up with like an active time event, or anything and like say tomb raider she doesn't it takes a couple of times to get through because she doesn't intuitively know which button is circle and x and square and triangle and admittedly i have a hard time switching to an xbox these days because of the x y a and b buttons i'm so used to playstation that whenever i use an xbox controller i'm not exactly sure which label is on the on the buttons when something happens and if you really want to mess with your mind um like i'm really used to the xbox controller because i played 360 and then right now whenever i pc game i use a controller a lot of the time and i'm yeah. using my um, my old 360 controllers because i just love the form factor try going from a 360 controller that's burned into your brain to a wii u controller because oh man it's the same like letters of the alphabet and they've all been moved around so oh. a b x and y are all the four face buttons but they're in a different layout <laughs> that would that would just completely make your brain melt out your nose that would be very that that's a hard thing when i i didn't play games for a long time on consoles because i was playing mmos and a lot of online pc games and when I came back, one of the first console games that I played was Batman Arkham City, and I couldn't play it, honestly, and literally put the game down because I couldn't understand the controls. And I've been doing this since I was two years old. It was so in-depth with the things that I had to do that I got frustrated and put it away. It's ridiculous how complicated they are, and if they're complicated for 
us, then it's really complicated for people who have never touched those kinds of controllers before. Trying to give somebody one of the Batman Arkham games if they've never played Mario Brothers is going to turn them off for gaming forever. Yeah, you gotta you gotta be careful like what you start people on. If so, if you have a spouse or a significant other or you know just a family member and you're trying to get them into gaming, which I think we'll talk about here in a second, but. Just keep in mind, you got to kind of be careful. Don't go too extreme because one bad gaming experience can turn them off. And one of the other things, so I I was talking to my wife, I was talking to my mom um, before this episode because I was trying to get into the headspace of somebody who's in that position because it's so hard for me because I've been playing since I was three, you know? Yeah. And one of the things that my mom mentioned is that it's really frustrating to not have a clear path about where to go next. And Mm -hmm. it's something that, like, I think we just are used to. We understand the language of games. And people who don't play them might not. So something that might be obvious for a lifelong gamer might be completely uncomprehensible for someone who's not. So that, like, one of the things that my mom really likes about some of the games she plays, like the sims or like you know whatever she switches her games around like she's constantly picking up new ones and dropping old ones she likes having like daily quests and some kind of very explicit here's the next thing that you should be doing in the game so she knows what to do to make progress and i I think that's one of the reasons that you also kind of have to be careful with open world games because they can be too open for people who aren't used to games yeah, so if you're not used to just living in a world and being immersed in this culture that, that the developers have created, a sandbox, say, give your mom Minecraft. Let's see what your mom does with Minecraft. And if she's used to having daily quests and being kind of theme parked through, she would be completely and totally overwhelmed and have no clue on how to play a game like that. I'm mm-hmm. guessing based on what you've said. Yeah, I'm going to swing back around to that one later because I want to talk about it more. But Okay, I got you. Oh, I was thinking about the clear path of that leading to frustration that I noticed with Jennifer playing Kingdom Hearts that I thought it was a fairly straightforward game and navigating the three-dimensional space for the first time when they said that you need to go back to this area, even though they gave her a clear direction on what to do, she wasn't used enough to games to remember the names of the places and pay attention to that kind of thing. So she would have no idea where it was. So even something like that where you know, Jack Skellington says, oh, you need to go to this part of Halloween Town again. She's like, I don't know where that was. I've been running around killing Heartless. I Which one was that? And because it doesn't matter to someone who's not been trained like you and me to make sure that we pay attention to what these places are called when you're playing a role-playing game. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that being frustration-inducing. And it's kind of like, like we don't want to just um, bring up all these points and not totally address them so i wanted to with these things in mind like controllers can be a big hurdle um not having a clear path can be frustrating smartphones are a good way to get people on board with games in general i wanted to kind of give some good points of entry for if you do have someone who's interested or you're trying to get into gaming or they seem like they might be open to it so i thought smartphone games in general were a good place to start i i would include all of the free-to-play games that most you know, like hardcore gamers completely dismiss, right? These ones that we see as very low actual gameplay and mechanics and kind of a cash grab, it's sometimes perfect for somebody who's not used to games. If you can find the right gameplay mechanic or the right like intellectual property that interests them, it can be fantastic. So a couple good ones that just come to mind for me are like Candy Crush. Like it's not a game that I'm going to spend a lot of time with, but I know a lot of people who love Candy Crush and they've gotten into it and they're invested now. Bejeweled is another one that's kind of like a puzzle matching game. And I would even say games like Pokemon Go, something where like we like it because we have the nostalgia, but other people might like it too, even though it doesn't have a whole lot of gameplay to it. It has a kind of cool core concept, right? Do you have any other games like this? Um, 
I was thinking about my little nephew actually playing Angry Birds. And when that came out, there was just something so simple about it. There was something when it actually hit that Angry Birds just was so intuitive and perfect that it's just kept going. Even people who don't play games can play Angry Birds and watch things blow up. And I think that that's a great thing because it goes back to what you were talking about with with the controller frustration. With Pokemon Go, you walk around and you tap a screen and flick a ball. I mean, that's really it. With Angry Birds, you know how a slingshot works. With Candy Crush, I've never played Candy Crush, so I have no idea how you play (laughs) Candy Crush. With Bejeweled, you swipe at the screen and it's not complicated and they are fun to play for short amounts of time like your mom does when she goes and does her daily quests and things like that and and makes her progress and then goes about her life so i was thinking along these lines puzzle games in general can be a really good jumping on point especially if they're not like timed puzzles you know right so some of the games we just mentioned like candy crush or bejeweled things like that they are puzzle games i mean i would say angry birds is kind of a puzzle game even though it's also trajectory game yeah but Puzzle games can be a really good, like, onboarding spot also, just in general. You know, if you see a puzzle game out there and it has some branding on it, because how many people have recreated Bejeweled and thrown their own skin on top of it? You know, there's, like, a Marvel version. There's a... There's an everything version of it now. You know, everyone. And just... I get, they do. They, everybody does this. And I get so frustrated at it because I see a game I want to play. I click into it that looks really cool. And it's another swipe three kind of puzzle game where if you're getting somebody to play a puzzle game on their smartphone for the first time as an introduction to gaming, make sure you pick a good one because some of them are not nearly as fun as other ones or well put together when they're put together well and polished they're magnificent and i see why candy crush it's pretty i see why candy crush is very successful but there are some of them that i've played that i'm just like yeah i don't know why anyone would ever play this and i go to something else so make sure you pick a good one because there's a lot of puzzle games out there there are a lot but i think that sometimes like the intellectual property that's tied to it can even be the thing that draws someone in there's a star wars game out there that i played for a long time that didn't have a whole lot of gameplay to it because it's star wars if you are a star wars fan you know and you i think it's called galaxy of heroes if i remember right right okay that might not be a bad spot for them to start even if there's not a whole lot of gameplay to it just to like get them to play a game on a screen right because that's kind of what we're talking about is like that first step into gaming so puzzle games are great um turn-based games can be really good too just because it's, right. it's not time pressure you know you're not fighting with the controls and you don't feel frustration because you can't execute it fast enough so for turn-based games i was thinking like digital board games are often a really good place to go um there yeah. are a lot of modern board games now that have a digital version it plays exactly the same but you can play it on your ipad or your iphone or android or whatever so those are something to keep in mind also. And I know you have at least one turn-based game you want to talk about. Yeah, Hero Academy is a fantastic game that I've actually used to get people to play video games who had never done it before. Because it's a PV... It's almost like chess is the way I describe it to them. It's a PvP game where you are... You have four or five different units with different abilities on a grid... That is, I think, something like 6 by 12 or something like this. I don't remember exactly what it is. But you're just going and you're trying to defeat the other team and destroy all of their units. And it's turn-based and it's asynchronous. So you don't have to sit there and play it all at once. You're not... You will wait on the other person to take their turn, even if it takes them an hour and a half to get back to the game. And you'll get a notification when they take their turn, which I've used with people I work with to be able to show them, okay, this is like chess, but it's not something that, you know, that it's not chess that a lot of people won't play or think it's intimidating for one reason or another. It's, hey, here's some wizards blowing each other up or whatever it is. And it really worked at 
one point I had pretty much everybody I worked with having it on their phone or their iPad and we were taking turns at night and during the day when we had a few minutes of just, okay, I've played all of my turns and now I'm going about my day where it was super fun because it was competitive and asynchronous. Some of those can be really fun. The ones where you can play asynchronous and I know there's more than just Hero Academy out there, but I will second your opinion that Hero (laughs) Academy is a good one to get people like into the game for because I like that one a lot too. And then I think narrative driven games are actually a really yeah. good hook too, because everybody's used to stories, you know, whether they're a reader or a movie watcher or they watch a lot of TV, like people understand stories and story structure. So for some people, the best way to get them in is through a narrative driven game. So I'm thinking yeah. um, there's a lot of interactive fiction, which I've talked about a little bit on the podcast before. Like there's this whole series by Choice of Games LLC, which is kind of like a modern interactive take on a choose your own adventure. But it's a lot more in-depth than that with a lot more choices and a lot less dead ends. I like those a mm. lot. And then yeah. there are games like 80 Days, which I know we're going to swing back to here and recommend yeah. again in a little bit. Right. But 80 Days is a really good game for just kind of like a light gameplay but more interactive fiction and then there are things like games where you might be able to get somebody to play it and turn it to like casual or story mode which are existing more and more in games right now so right i would put games like mass effect in here you know games that are really an rpg but it specifically has a casual setting but then i want to also preface that by saying Sometimes that's just not going to work. Like sometimes the controller is too much and the gameplay and the options and the menus are too much. That point you got to think about, it can be really fun to watch games. People can enjoy games by proxy. I would throw a bunch of games into this section, right? So like, yeah, Firewatch, we've talked about a ton on this podcast. We love Firewatch. If someone's not comfortable enough with a controller or a mouse and keyboard to actually play it, Firewatch is a game where they can sit on the couch, you can play it, and you can both get a ton of enjoyment out of it. Yep. I would also say any Telltale game, like all of the Telltale games are basically story-driven. They might be a little tiny bit puzzly, but they're mostly story-driven. Um, I know my mom loved Tales from the Borderlands when my brother was playing it. Like She basically okay. just sat down and watched it like a show while my brother was playing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> That's awesome. And... Like, my wife likes Mass Effect, and she likes Assassin's Creed. Like, if I'm ever playing a Mass Effect game or an Assassin's Creed game, she'll just sit and watch it, you know, instead of knitting while watching TV or or listening to an audiobook. Like, she'll turn those off, and she'll watch me kill people in Assassin's Creed because it's fascinating, right? Even open-world games like GTA, things that if you were to hand... Like, if I were to hand my wife a controller and say, go have fun in GTA, she would just... You know, she'd give up within a couple of minutes because it's yeah. it's overwhelming. But games like GTA or like Saints Row, there have been times where I booted them up and my wife is like, go do this thing. Like <laughs> she's yes. basically backseat driving and telling me what she wants to do in this open world and having a great time just taking it in that way. Well, that was pretty much my entire college experience in terms of video games was I watched people play GTA 3, that it was brand new. The open world was an entirely new concept in gaming when I was in college, and I didn't like playing Grand Theft Auto. I hated playing Grand Theft Auto 3, but I sat and watched people play it for hours and hours and hours while just hanging out, telling them to go do something stupid and seeing what they could blow up. It was, it's so much fun. The same with survival horror games. I've talked on here before about my friend Bob who played Silent Hill 3 up through Extreme 10. And I sat there and watched him do all of it because it was fun and entertaining to see this stuff. When I was playing Batman Arkham City, Jennifer, who, you know, I was talking about me not being able to handle the controls. There's no way that she would be able to control this game just because she's not used to that that level of manipulation. And she She loved watching me play Arkham City because of Kevin Conroy's voice. He voiced Batman, the same guy who did the Batman the Animated Series voice that is our Batman. And she came in, sat on the couch, and watched me play this because he was talking. And with Mark Hamill was the Joker, she said it was like coming home. It was like coming home in the afternoons from school when we were little kids and sitting on the floor watching Batman the Animated Series. And she would watch me play Batman for the same 
emotional effect that she had that Batman had on her when she was a kid. And I know Austin, my friend, came to my house to watch me play Bioshock Infinite because he hadn't gotten it yet. And it was super fun for him to watch, he said. And I would go to his house to watch him play Last of Us. I've never played it, but I know that it is a brilliant and fantastically fun game because there was one point at which I didn't know I was holding my breath until he got through it and I was like, oh God, I can breathe. <laughs> because I was I was tense on his couch and I wasn't the one playing it. So if you have someone who wants to get into gaming or that you want to get into gaming, show them one of these games that show that can actually explain and demonstrate what games are capable of if all they think games are, are time wasters. Show them a Batman Arkham City if they're attached to Kevin Conroy's voice. Show them Last of Us if you want to show them that video games can be this incredibly powerful storytelling tool, but make sure that you're catering to who Whoever it is that you're showing, because I know my wife could not sit and watch Mass Effect. I just she doesn't like watching RPGs. Yeah, and my wife absolutely loves Mass Effect. Like every game that I I think she saw me playing the first one when it was mm. like just after it came out. And she was like, What is this? And she just kind of got into it. And ever since then, yeah. she's watched all the other Mass Effects as I've played them. So it's kind of I mean, know your audience, right? Yeah. You you know the person that you're interacting with, like what they're into, what they might like, what they definitely won't like. I mean, keep that in mind. Everyone has different tastes. So with all of these things to think about, if you're trying to get a non-gamer into gaming, I also want to float the idea and do a direct answer to the question of how do I get my spouse to play games? Maybe uh, don't. Maybe you don't. Maybe don't. Um, <laughs> so yeah. sometimes having separate hobbies is really good and... I found that it's it's more important to be like interested in each other's hobbies than it is to necessarily do the same hobbies with your free time. Like my wife is super into knitting and I, you know, after watching her knit for years, I think I picked up and I knit like, uh, I don't know, 10 stitches, maybe one time, maybe two times, maybe 20 stitches in my whole life. <laughs> and that was enough. But the thing about it is you have to actually pay attention to what the other person is interested in. I know so much more about knitting than I ever thought I would in my life because I listen to my wife, right? Yep. Like I actually listen when she talks. I'm interested in what she has to say and I support her in her hobbies. Like when she finds a cool new pattern or a cool new yarn, like I actually enjoy hearing about it now, even though I'm not going to knit the pattern. I'm not going to like, you know, go pick out the yarn and buy it. But it, it's kind of what, the geek to geek podcast network is all about right we like connecting people over subjects they're passionate about my wife is passionate about knitting and because of that i have fun listening to her talk about knitting yep. even though it's not my thing yeah that's that's exactly it and that's one of the that's something that i think a lot of people and not necessarily you guys out there listening but one thing i think a lot of people have a misunderstanding of is that just because you like something doesn't mean that everybody has to like it and that it doesn't devalue it any if someone just doesn't care about it and like my wife loves woodworking for those of you who haven't realized it yet i am not a real manly man uh, i don't really fall into that stereotype i'm the one who is playing around on my computer acting like a four-year-old while my wife is out with a table saw building something she's the one who built our shelves in our kitchen and tables that we have and i know way more about woodworking than i ever did before and she is so much better at it than i am our workshop is hers it is her workshop i say our workshop because it's in our house but that's hers and i listened and when we were on vacation a couple of weeks ago we went to a woodworking store and she was like a kid in a candy store in there and i have no idea what any of those tools do but i was excited for her that she found these woods with wood grain that she liked and purple wood and just all of this stuff that she was so excited about and I don't ever want to do that. But like you said, <laughs> I'm very glad that she does. She's building us a coffee table right now. And while she's in her workshop working and sanding and staining and cutting and measuring, 
I'm learning Ruby on Rails. I'm working on different apps like that and learning coding. And I'll talk about stuff that she doesn't understand. She'll talk about stuff that I don't understand. I still don't entirely know what like a pocket hole jig is and what a mortar and tenon joint, I think. <laughs> I hear about them and like biscuit joints and all of this. Like... I don't know, but I hear all of them. Like you said, I'm never going to be able to use them or practically understand them and how they're integrated and implemented, just like the the yarn and things like that for you and the patterns. But I care because she gets so unbelievably excited about it. And when I show her Chrono Trigger and that she is, she sees that I'm fighting with menus, she's just like, mm-mm, nope, mm-mm. I'm glad you like it, but mm-mm. <laughs> so, I mean, I think the takeaway is, I mean, let people like what they like, you know? If they if they really don't like gaming and you have a spouse and you're married, like, seriously, just let them like what they like and gaming can be your hobby. It doesn't have to be theirs. But if Share it with them. But yeah, I mean you know talk about it they can listen they can they can be just like we are with knitting and woodworking like they can be interested in your hobby without actually doing it with you or partaking of that hobby and that's okay but i did want to give some recommendations so let's say you have a friend or a family member or a spouse and they want to get into gaming or they just want to take like the first couple steps into it i know we've said a lot of games that are good onboarding games but i actually want to give some explicit recommendations Specifics, yeah yeah so still speaking in generalities here um I do think that playing through a narrative game together can be really good. You just have to know your audience. You know, Mass Effect worked for my wife, but it would not for BJ's wife. Like, you know, just know your audience. Pick the right game. Playing through a game, like the same game side by side. So, like, my wife and I were playing Pokemon Go together. We both have our own copy of the app, and we're walking together. Like, you know, there are games that you can both be playing that aren't, like, linked, but you can play them at the same time. That can be fun. Mm -hmm. And then co-op games that aren't too fast (laughs) like yes it can't be an actiony co-op game but if you can find a really good co-op game that's a great way to get people on board the lego games are wonderful for this this was something that jennifer and i did with i think lego batman 2 on the wii it was one of the first ones that we had played together that was cooperative because we could run around and explore and do stuff but we weren't like new super mario brothers wii where we started screaming and yelling at each other because it was too fast and trying to rush through the level. And it was fun to do that together. Yeah. So absolutely not like gears of war. Don't start with gears of war. Something like that. No, don't start with gears of war. And then, okay. So game recommendations for non-gamers. These are ones that are super, super easy to get into, right? Like the very first steps into gaming. Um, I would recommend, and you've probably seen a lot of these on the app store. The ones I'm going to throw out here, any bejeweled game, um fruit ninja is really good jetpack mm-hmm. joyride you know these are just little action you just swipe on your smartphone no big deal ridiculous fishing fits into this category too <laughs> you basically drop a lure and you have to like guide it on the way down and when you catch a fish uh. it goes up into the air and when it reaches where it would hit the boat it goes flying in the air and you have to shoot it with a gun because why not <laughs> and <laughs> of course yeah um and then tower defense there's a game out there called bloons tower defense it's usually bloons td so the the mm. most up-to-date one is called bloons td5 that game is amazing for anyone gamer non-gamer like taking your first steps into gaming basically waves of balloons follow this path and you put towers around it and destroy them that's the entire game and it's super fun and then there's a game called card crawl and that one still gets a ton of time on my phone like even for me it's kind of like a take on solitaire that's also themed after like dungeon crawler so it's like you're working your way through this deck and inside the deck you have equipment you have shields you have like healing potions you have weapons and you can take them and drop them onto your guy and use them because in the deck are also monsters and you have to make your way all the way through the bottom of the deck to complete the dungeon and then at the end it's like however much (laughs) at any point you can take equipment and you can like sell it and get gold out Mm, of it so really what you're aiming for is a high scoring gold if you're like yeah i think i can do it without this thing you sell it for gold right and okay so beating it is not hard to actually make it through that deck it's not a challenge the challenge is to try to outdo your last high score right how how like carefully can you make it through the deck and just have one hit point left at the end and barely have enough equipment to eke through so card crawl is amazing i'm gonna say 80 days again And I'm going to swing back to that one because that's going to be actually my top pick. But 80 Days is a really good game. And then Mini Metro 
if you haven't ever heard of this game, it's on PC. It should be out on iPad soon. I don't think it is yet. But you have basic shapes that show up on the screen, triangle, square, circle, whatever. Those represent either like train stops or subway stops. And it's your job to just like touch and drag a line between them to create like a rail line. And you're trying to move people between destinations to get them where they want to go. That's the whole game. The map slowly zooms out and you slowly get more and more stations as time goes on. It it becomes really fun, but it kind of scales up in difficulty to whatever you can handle. So that's a really good one to get people started. Do you have any other ones in this like first steps into gaming section? Uh, What was the game? I can't remember the name. It was like 2048 that just swiping numbers and adding them up and seeing if you could do the entire thing it was and just combining numbers is all the entire thing i think it's called 2048 is an app i know a lot of people who weren't necessarily gamers um uh, associate with uh played and then dots and two dots took a lot of my friends lives that that it's just it's a puzzle game and it is very simple it is a bunch of dots on your screen with a white background colored polka dots in a grid or a particular pattern and you are trying to eliminate them all and you have a certain number of moves to do it in it is unbelievably addictive and if there's no graphics on it it's just minimalist and simple but they're fun games and they're completely different dots and two dots are just it's the one's a sequel so just start with one get somebody to play it even if they're not gamers and they don't like something like card crawl because they're like oh this looks like a game it's gamified they're gonna like polka dots (laughs) and so so i know i know two dots and dots did really well for people cool okay so then let's take it one more step up with recommendations so this is for you know people who maybe have gotten into games they play one or two games a little bit they kind of want something that's more along the lines of a traditional what we would think of as a gamer's game but still not like super hardcore right you're never going to recommend dark souls to these people like no that's not what we're going for we're going for the next step in right someone who might be familiar with like playing mario when they were a kid mario one things like that right um what do you have in this category well there's obviously hero academy that we talked about because it is you know, it's the turn-based gamified game that can get them into that kind of genre game of turn-based strategy. And there's also recently one of my work studies turned me on to a game called Town of Salem. Have you ever played this? I've heard of it. I think I might have played it a little, but I'm not remembering it off the top of my head. You can either play it just in your browser or you can play it. You can buy the client that runs faster and more smoothly on Steam. And it is a game that is based on Mafia and Werewolf. I don't know if you've ever played those. They're oh, card yeah. games, no, party games. I remember games. this game now. Yep. It's that's essentially all it is. You are an, you are assigned a role that has from either villager who does nothing or a witch who can possess people at night or some or a serial killer who goes into other people's houses and murders them in the middle of the night. Stuff like that. And It's turn-based, so you have a day and night cycle, but the game part is that every single day, the town votes to lynch someone and hang someone for the murder that night that happened the night before, and every single character class has a different victory condition that they have to complete, and... And just doing it is not necessarily easy. The game is politics. You're chatting with people every day trying to convince them either not to murder you and make you turn into a ghost and have to talk to the medium, let's say, or you're trying to convince them to murder someone else who you know may be a bad guy. So if you're a good guy, you can win. Where it is gamified only in that people have abilities. The actual gameplay comes from people you know, talking to other human beings. And I had a lot of people this last year. We were getting LAN parties, essentially, playing this and getting together big groups. And it was super fun. And there are people who have never played video games in their lives, I know, that loved this because you were interacting with i think like eight to ten other people and they'd never done that online in this capacity before so i i like town of salem as an introductory game an introductory game a lot cool yeah a lot of those like werewolf type games can be fun that that general style of game i'm gonna throw a bunch in here actually i'm gonna say 
Um, any Mario Kart game ever fits in oh, this yeah. category. Mario Kart is a fantastic choice. Mario platformers, any multiplayer Mario platformer, which is mm-hmm. basically the last like three or four that have come out, whether it's on like 3DS, 2DS, Wii U, whatever. I mean, my whole family, we will play the Mario, Super Mario 3D World that's on Wii U together, like four oh. player, because it's really fun. It's very family friendly. Like anyone can learn how to play it very quickly within a couple minutes. So Mario platformers and Mario Kart are both great. Um, Hearthstone is one I would put into this category. I think it's yeah. the most approachable digital card game out there. So if you've ever been interested in any kind of collectible card game at all, you know, magic or whatever, like this is the best, most approachable digital card game is Hearthstone. It's very polished. It's really fun to play. If you want, you can go super deep into it and like spend a ton of money and get hardcore about your deck building, but you don't have to. You can just try it out for free and just play it and get a feel for it. So I think that's a good one for people getting into gaming at this level. And I think it's a lot more polished than a lot of the card games too, that even even tabletop card games, and I love a lot of them, but Hearthstone I think has better mechanics and polish in a lot of ways than some of the games that are out right now. Yep, absolutely. And then I'm also going to put Firewatch here. I think Mm -hmm. um, if you have somebody who's willing to sit down and try mouse and keyboard controls or try to play with a controller and you're going to actually have them be the one playing a narrative game, um, I think Firewatch is a fantastic place to start because you literally never have to do anything under a time limit in Firewatch. It is all whatever pace you move around is the pace the story moves, which yeah. is actually a lot more rare in games than you would think. And it, it just fits so well. It's it's a great narrative experience. You can wander around at your own pace and experience it. So yeah, if you can actually get someone to take that leap and say, here's a narrative game, but you're going to play it and they're apprehensive about it, you'd say, no, 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 this one's approachable. You take this one at your own speed. So Firewatch is fantastic. And then the last one I'm going to throw in here, which I told you I would get back to, yep. is Minecraft. Minecraft in creative mode is what I would say okay. goes here. Not, that makes sense. Not Minecraft survival mode, which is what most people think about when you just kind of default think right. about Minecraft. Survival mode, you have health to worry about, and you have hunger, and you have, you have to escape from all the monsters that spawn every night, all these things. Um, if you have never played Minecraft or you've never really dug into it, you might not realize there's a creative mode. Creative mode Minecraft, you have like no health bar. You have no, you know, stamina right. or energy meters. You just get to build. And you have access right from the first moment to every single building block that exists in the game. So instead of being a survival game where you have to learn how to craft, Minecraft becomes a building game with like the coolest Legos ever. And like my daughter's been playing Minecraft a lot in the last year. And this is what she plays, right? She plays Minecraft creative mode and she shows me all of these amazing things that she builds. And this is what I was doing like five or 10 years ago. I don't know. I was playing Minecraft Mm -hmm. in beta. I don't know how long it's been around now, but I played it a long time ago before it was actually released. And I loved creative mode. Survival mode was always okay, but creative mode is tons of fun. Um, You can just tell the person this is like, adult legos like just go build have fun with it so minecraft creative mode is amazing that was actually a way that i ended up convincing people to play disney infinity with me that it was like legos meets kingdom hearts is the way that i put it and it it sold the game just the idea of legos in a video game and the toy box stuff was the same way so if you're really looking at getting somebody invested even though they stopped production on disney infinity that is a very good way to get non-gamers in is if they're builders you can get a handful of figures go in and unlock a lot of toy box stuff just by playing around and you can go and make your own levels in it to be able to go around make racetracks be able to to make platformers and things like that the building part of it is completely different than Minecraft creative mode, but it's just as fulfilling in a lot of ways being able, because you're able to gamify it as you do and then go back and play the adventure levels or the quests that you build that way too. And I know people, you can just, and you can just build for whatever. So it's, it's super fun to do as well uh, in that same vein as Minecraft. So if we were to pick one game, what is your top pick for non-gamers? Mario Kart. 
That's a good I one. I think that Mario Kart, any of them, but I really like Double Dash as one to introduce because it has it's so unique in terms of how you get to play it that there's more weapons that you can use, that kind of thing, that are always fun. And uh, I've... I love being able to introduce non-gamers to gaming through Mario Kart. I I did it with my wife, and it stuck, and we still play. We made sure that we have Mario Kart and the Wii, Mario Kart Wii, on our honeymoon. That we forgot controllers, and we went to Walmart on our honeymoon and bought controllers so that we could lock ourselves away in the mountains and play Mario Kart. I mean, and she's not a gamer, so... I got to say Mario Kart Mario Kart does it. That is a that's actually an awesome recommendation. I will second that and that's right up there near the top of my list, but I'm actually going to say 80 days. And I guess okay. I'm talking about um adult non-gamers. This would not be one for kids just cuz it has a lot of reading, not because of subject matter. And I've mentioned this a couple times already in the episode. I wanted to save it for here to actually describe it. So 80 Days is like an alternate history reality version of Jules Verne, you know, around the world in 80 days. So you start out and you're like a valet for an Englishman in an alternate reality steampunk version of the early 1900s or late 1800s, something like that. And basically, you're the person you're a valet for he says we're gonna go around the world in 80 days and try to beat the other guys who are going around the world in 80 days and you start out in london and you go east and Mm -hmm. stop by stop you make it around the world but the gameplay comes in where you pick which route you go on so there are nodes and the nodes are essentially cities right so every city you hit you might have found like a train map of Europe. So you might know all of these train routes or you might spend a day in the city talking to people and realize that, hey, there's a car that's going to take me north to the next city. Or you might find (laughs) there are crazy things like you might find an airship that's going to take you somewhere weird or, you know, an underwater submarine that's going to take you. You know, it can go in all of these different ways. So you will make it around the world. But the question is, will you do it in 80 days or not? And the game is about making decisions, but then experiencing the story. So it's about experiencing what happens between point A and point B. What happens on that route and how does it affect you and the Englishman that you are basically helping out? And it's it's a narrative game, but it's very simple. Like there's not a whole lot of gameplay to it, so it's not intimidating. You can have a, a little bit of luggage so you can have a few items that you bring along with you, but that doesn't really come into play a whole lot. And I've actually replayed this one about four times. And okay. if you're a frequent listener, you know I don't really replay games, rewatch <laughs> movies, redo right. my media. And every single time I play this one, it has been a different adventure. It, it's really cool. Like you go around the world and then you can just kind of get a new game plus mode where he goes, why don't we do it again? And <laughs> okay. uh, you probably won't want to do it again right away. Uh, I think I've taken months between every time I played it, but I'm actually kind of gearing up to play it again because the last time I played, I chose instead of going east as fast as I could, I chose north every single time and I made it to the North Pole. And that was the ah. That was the coolest adventure that I've had in 80 days. So 80 days, I think it's out on Steam and it's out on iOS and Android. And it's kind of out on most systems that you can find it. So yeah, that's my recommendation. That's awesome. With that, it's probably time for our Weekly Geekery. If you don't know, Weekly Geekery is where we share what we've been geeking out about this week. Uh, What do you got? Uh, well, I've mainly been geeking out about Chrono Trigger still. Ever since we did our JRPG episode, I've been thinking so much about how much I loved RPGs, and I finally beat Chrono Trigger this morning and have been playing through it and going through a, even the dungeon that opens up after I beat the game. It's taking me about 30 hours altogether to beat it this time around, but even though I beat it when I was a kid, I cannot recommend this enough because playing through it again, it... It was an entirely new experience for me this time as an adult. It is a fantastic game. The gameplay holds up. Go into whatever system you can and play Chrono Trigger. And then also in the same vein as 80 Days, I've also been playing Lifeline on my phone. That have you you've played that, right? I the have, Lifeline yeah. series. Lifeline's cool. For those of you who don't know, it's something that I came across a while back after having an idea for a game like this. It was it was interesting because it's like you're getting text messages and responding back 
to them as a narrative, that it uses iPhone notifications so that you can just reply to this character who is trapped on a planet and you're the only person who he can reach a has a signal to reach. So he'll ask you advice on what he should be doing and then he will go off and do it. And what's interesting is that while he's going to do what you told him to do, it's in real time. So if he is having to walk for three hours, you're not going to get another turn and get another message from him for three hours because he is off climbing a crater for you or something like that, or he's gone to sleep for the night. And yes, you can wait on it and not play it whenever it's not feasible for you to do it and come back to it everything else the responses and things like that are in real time as though it is actually happening so if you did want to play it in real time it is entirely possible to treat it as that as though that is another human being on another planet who needs your help and it is super cool that one yeah that one's definitely really cool i like that game um for me this week i've been reading a lot i think i've read like five books since last time we recorded just because i don't know it was a reading week for me i guess so i want to talk about two of them one was the new harry potter that just came out which isn't really a book it's a script for a play that's a stage play and it's Mm -hmm. harry potter and the cursed child and i'm not gonna spoil it for anybody but it wasn't as good as i wanted it to be at this point like i think it's a little too fan fictiony like a really good fan fiction but still fan fiction and part of this is probably because jk rowling did not write it she just gave her approval and there were one or two playwrights that traded it off and on and they wrote it so yeah it's, it's not actually a book written by her but it it was a little bit too much hey remember all these things about harry potter that you really liked we have them too Mm. you know whereas like in the harry potter books themselves they introduced like one or two new like key magical things every time and they really integrated it with the story this is like how many of those things can we cram into one plot and even if Uh, they don't really fit as well as they should so yeah um i didn't love it i wanted to and i didn't but with that said i still would love to see this as a play because that's the way that it's supposed to be experienced you know sitting there reading a script of a play is not the ideal way to take in a play and i kind of question why well no i know exactly why they released this anyway they wanted money right i mean well there's also the harry the harry potter fan people the fan people who can't go to london and watch it so this is the only way we're able to experience it we can't exactly listen to a production of it on spotify like we can hamilton to experience it that way so this is the only way we're able to get it so i do understand doing it but the theater guy in me you know it's because i'd minored in theater in college and been doing it forever is like no you don't read a play and expect to get everything out of it and so i would love to still see this as a play i mean even feeling like i was kind of let down by what i read i would love to see this as a play in person because it would be i'm sure it would be a good experience even if it's the supposed story's to be not great you know it is supposed to be an absolute spectacle to watch that i've heard that it is probably the most technically magnificent play that's ever been put on that is really cool. And then I would also love to see this turn into like an audible production with a full cast. I think that could yes. be a great way to experience it for those of us who can't go to London to see this, you know? I'm doing my grabby hands right now trying to get it. The gimme, gimme, gimme hands. You I let, want. You let me gimme. know if that works. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it, it did not. It, it, it did not. It failed. My gimme hands did not get. Maybe next time. Um, the other book I want to talk about is Aftermath Life Debt, which is a Star Wars book. I'm still... Right completely up to date with all of the star wars extended universe novels and this is the latest one um it's the second in a trilogy that's the aftermath trilogy so this is kind of like what happens right after return of the jedi and i still don't like the original characters that the author has created all of them seem too stereotypical or too bland like uh, there are a couple (laughs) times where they were in danger and i'm like yeah they can die whatever (laughs) but yeah but um, Life Debt starts to tie in Han Solo, Princess Leia, Chewbacca, um, Wedge, Mon Mothma, like a bunch of the the characters that are core to the series. And okay. because it did that, I liked it a lot more. The one thing about this book that I actually loved were these little vignettes that he has as interludes between yes. different sections and between different chapters because you read the first one also right you remember these interludes yeah i read aftermath and those were my favorite part of it i haven't made it to life debt yet but to know that he kept the same format really makes me excited because i loved them yeah so it's basically like a one-off 
short fiction it's it's one chapter and you just get a little snippet a little vignette of what's happening somewhere else in the galaxy with a totally new set of characters that have nothing to do with the main plot and you're never going to see again so it's these little one-off like what's happening on Tatooine, what's happening on wherever Mm -hmm. you know all across the galaxy and after finishing this book i think i would have rather had an entire book of those interludes because ah. they're so fascinating and they're really well done. Like I felt more interested in the characters in the interludes than the original characters in the novel, which is sad, but true. Yes. So yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I can't give this one like a huge endorsement because I didn't love the book, but if you're like a star Wars completionist like me and you need to know everything, you're going to read it anyway. And yeah, just know that the interludes are really interesting and the main characters that get tied into the series are also interesting. And that there is one character in there named Temin who is incredibly annoying in the first book, but he is worth dealing with because of a droid that he because of a droid that he creates called Mr. Bones. Mr. Bones is worth reading these books for if he is in the second one even, you know, as much as he was in the first one. I hope hope he's in there more because I love Mr. Bones. Yeah, he's in there more. I should actually say Mr. Bones is probably the one unique character that I cared about because he's so yep. funny. He's just like he's the he's a B1 battle droid, which is like, do you remember episode one? Roger, Roger. Yeah, the Roger, Roger droids that, you know, were dumb. It's one of those that's been like revamped and then its personality got messed up and then it was given a bunch of extra weapons. So it, he's kind of a psychopath. But he's, yeah, also, awesome. he's also like fiercely loyal to his master, who's Temin. And so anytime Temin is in danger, like Mr. Bones is just there to wreak havoc. And it's hilarious. He kind of reminds me of HK 47 from the Knights of the Old Republic games. Yes. Where he's wanting to go kill all the meat bags. And it's kind of like that, only not quite as, I don't even want to say over the top. I don't even know the, the words. He's, it's like HK but not quite. He, it's a different droid. It's just it's a, a different, different take on... It's just different kind of, you know, murderous uh, droid. It's really funny, though. But yeah, yeah, he... Mr. Bones is a really good character. Okay, with that, I think that's about it for this week. You can write to us with comments, suggestions, or feedback. Our email address, as always, is geek2geekcast at gmail.com, or you can reach us on Twitter at geek2geekcast. If you want to get email updates about any of our network's podcasts, you can sign up at geek2geekcast.net and tell us which shows you want updates about. I blog almost daily at agreenmushroom.com, and you can find me at grnmushroom, that's green mushroom without the E's, on Twitter. I also run the Video Game News Now podcast if you're interested in video game headline news done quick. I'm on Twitter as at Professor Beige, that's Beige with two E's, and I host the Geek Fitness Health Hacks podcast, uh, which you can find at geekfitness.net, and I also have a series of science fiction novels at bjkeaton.com, and you know, you could probably go there and get them. We've been Void and Beige with your Geek to Geek podcast. That'll do it for this week. See you next week, geeks. Bye, geeky people.